listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Uh, Merry Christmas again to all of you. Uh, love Christmas. Can't get enough of Christmas. And man, uh, our kids are a hard act to follow. I got to say that. This sermon will be nowhere near as cute or entertaining as what you just saw. So it's going downhill from there. Uh, but it was a great way to start it off and so fun to uh, celebrate the Lord's birth again, even though we are mid-January and everybody's getting on with their lives. Uh, for those of you who are visiting today, uh, of course many of you are here because of the Christmas program, I want to catch you up to speed and welcome you back into our series. We're in the middle of a series called Draw Near, and specifically we're looking at the spiritual disciplines through the lens of how do we use them to create space, to create room in our lives to move closer to the Lord. All right. Uh, I like to think of the spiritual disciplines, this is helpful for me, maybe not for you, but I like to think of them in terms of marriages. And maybe you're, maybe you're not a people watcher, I tend to be a little bit of a people watcher, I know it's rude, uh, but I try to do it secretly enough. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that I like to observe about people is when they're at restaurants or you know, whatever, um, I like to observe especially older couples, um, really old couples, not you Wendell and Susan, uh, this is not you. Uh, this is, I, I messed that up one Sunday years ago, and I haven't lived that down, so today's making up for that. These are older couples like in their 80s. We're talking been married 50 years or plus, okay? And I like just to watch them interact, because they've had so much life wash over them. I like to see them, and you ever see one of those older couples where they're just really engaged to each other, and they're just, they're talking, and they're laughing, and they're touching each other, and you're kind of like, I wonder if they're going to start kissing right here in the restaurant. You know, they're just really into each other. And then you see those older couples that I would say this is more normal, and, and they're just kind of sitting there doing their own thing, not talking, just kind of expressionless, and you can kind of tell maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit of bitterness that's built up over the years. Marriage is hard for all of us, but, but they just kind of, they stayed true to their vows. They've, they've just kind of gritted their teeth and gotten through it, and I wonder, what's the difference between those two couples? You know, marriage is hard for everybody. How does that one couple stay so, you know, in love with each other over all those years? And I think... Um, I'm not positive about this, but I think, not in every case, that it comes down to disciplines. Simple things done over and over and over again over the course of time that really make a huge impact in the end. It's, it's things like going out on dates. It's things like he bought flowers. It's things like taking time away from your kids to, to build that relationship. Making space, making room so that that marriage can flourish. Sure, you're, you're committed to those, those vows you made, but, but it's, it, wanting to feel close to each other takes work. It takes time. It takes carving out space. And I think that's the way the spiritual disciplines work as well. You know, we trust that Jesus Christ has given them himself for us, and, and we believe that, and we stand up in front of church and confess that, and we get baptized. But then along the way, sometimes we lose our joy in following him, and the spiritual disciplines are to carve out space in our lives. They're to make room so that we can feel that relationship growing and being nurtured, and it's alive. That's what we're after here in this series, and the discipline we look at today is just that way, I think. It's a powerful discipline, a liberating discipline, and I think if you practice this, you'll find this a real uh, life and joy to you. We're looking at the discipline of simplicity, all right? Now, uh, you can't see the other disciplines that are up there, so that's helpful for me today, but... What was the first thing that came to your mind when I said the discipline of simplicity? Just shout it out. Just the first, the very first thing that popped into your mind. What was the first picture, the first image? Anybody want to volunteer anything? What's that? I heard something. Come on, don't be shy, everybody. 
Okay, having too much stuff. What, what else? Basic living, okay. Anybody think of churning their own butter? Uh, the Hutterites? <laughs> Anybody have that Weird Al song? You know that Weird Al song, <laughs> Amish Paradise? That's what pops into my head. You know, living without electricity, that kind of thing. And here's the thing. I think simplicity often gets mistaken for minimalism. I think it really does. It often gets mistaken, and we automatically go to some of the outward ways that it's expressed. And I want to try to redeem this discipline because I really think it's something that can make a huge impact on our lives today. So we're going to try to do that here over the next 25 minutes or so. So here's what I'd like to do. First, I'd like to take a look at the foundation for simplicity, which we find right here in our text in Matthew. And then I want to look at a warning about discipline or about simplicity um, and, and specifically how we're supposed to use this discipline. And then I'll give a working definition because I'm kind of into those and I put it on your handout so you don't have to memorize any of this stuff. Then we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. We're going to actually talk together about how this discipline should feel internally, um, what should be going on in your heart, and what it can look like, some possibilities of ways to practice it, okay? So uh, let's dive in here today together um, and look at the foundation of the discipline of simplicity. It's right here in our text in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And of course, this is Jesus' most famous uh, Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever. And he's not really on a mountain, he's more of a hill. He's outdoors and he's talking to people. And he's addressing all kinds of things that are really important for people's lives. And Jesus has just finished up talking about money, and now he moves into the topic of worry, right? What could be more applicable for our lives today as Americans? And I think it's brilliant. Jesus moves right from money to worry because he knows how much of our stress and our worry is attached to our stuff and our money. It's brilliant. Um, and so he makes this move, and I think all of us can, can kind of relate here. Um, the American Psychological Association just released a new study about Americans and stress. And it turns out we're getting more stressed every year. Which maybe, I don't think that's surprising to anybody. You probably feel it. Uh, the, more, the more stuff we get, the more things we tackle, the more stress we get in our lives. And uh, they've, they've shown that each year since they've been tracking it, people are getting a little bit more stressed to the point where 75% of Americans today report having been really stressed out at least once in the past month. What was also interesting about the study is it found that the older generations are less stressed and then the closer you get to the younger generations, the more stress you get. The more people are reporting they're really stressed out. So the, the baby boomers are more stressed out than their parents' generation, and the Gen Xers are more stressed out than the baby boomers, and the millennials are more stressed out than the Xers. And we don't know about Generation Y yet, but we can predict that they're probably dealing with even more stress. So the more stuff you have, the more access you have to technology, doesn't alleviate your stress. And so we would be wise to heed Jesus' words here today, about worrying, and then he's going to get us to the heart of simplicity, the foundation of it, really. And so he's, he's up there on that hill, and Jesus is teaching them, and he says, listen, you guys are worried about all these things. And I just picture him just, you know, there's a bunch of birds over there eating, and he says, well, look at the birds, for instance. And he's got a handy analogy. So look at those birds. Do you see them storing all their grain away in barns and working tirelessly to make sure that they have this big hedge of protection? No. No. They're just eating and, and building their nests and trusting. And they trust that their heavenly Father will feed them. 
You know, for our context today, the birds don't have Roth IRAs and they don't have annuities and they don't have all kinds of protection, but their Heavenly Father feeds them. They're not worried about it. He says, look at those lilies over there. Look at the flowers. You know, they're not, they're not trying to be GQ and they're not thinking about who's judging them because of what they wore today and, oh my goodness, what am I going to wear to the occasion? They're just beautiful and more beautifully dressed than any of you all, even than kings, because your Heavenly Father clothes them. And so his, his philosophical argument is like, hey, if, if, if the birds and the flowers are taken care of this well and you're worth more than they are, can't you trust that your heavenly father's going to take care of you? Big key to simplicity is trust. That's why a lot of us suck at it, myself included. Because Jesus is saying, look, here's the deal. You don't trust that your heavenly father's got you. You don't trust that he can take care of you. And for some of us, maybe there's good reason there that we don't trust. Some of us, it's like God didn't come through the way you were looking for him to come through. Maybe the electric bill didn't get paid. Maybe, you know, maybe that thing that you, you dreaded happening actually did happen. And so there's this core doubt in your heart that says, I just don't know if he's good. I don't know if he's got me. And Jesus is confronting that in us today. He's saying, listen, can't you trust that God's got you, that your heavenly Father's good. He says, all these other nations that aren't under God's care, they're worried about these kinds of things. But you don't have to be because you have a Father that cares for you, that looks after you. And so he gets down to the heart of it and he says, listen, this is what you need to do. I understand you're worried about all these things. He says, I understand. Your Father knows you need all these things, but this is what you should do instead of worrying about them. Which is very helpful to me, right? The least helpful statement somebody can say is just don't worry about it. That's like the least helpful thing ever. You need something else to go along with it. So Jesus says, this is what you should do instead of worrying. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. And all these other things will be added to you. And that's the foundation. That's the heart of simplicity. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. Everything else is going to be an add-on. Jesus is saying, look... Seek God's kingdom first. Seek God in his kingdom first and then trust that your heavenly father's got your back. Trust that he's got you. That's the foundation of it. Now, with that sort of being the heart, I want to flesh that out in a way that makes it sort of memorable to us um, and, and give you a couple of word pictures because it's really important. If you get off track, you'll wind up just thinking, I just need to, you know, have two t-shirts in my closet. And that's not the point of simplicity, right? That's actually a smelly kind of way to live. Right? So we want to stay on track with what is really the heart of simplicity. Um, when you think of simplicity, don't let yourself go to the practice immediately. Don't let yourself go to living on $20 a week or just eating rice and beans and, and those kinds of things. Though those could be ways that you choose to express it. But when you think of simplicity, think of it as centering your life on one thing. God and his kingdom. Centering your life on one thing and then allowing possessions and all the other stuff going on in your life to fall in place. That's what Jesus is saying here. Center your life on God and his kingdom. Bend your life around God and then allow everything else to fall in place. Um, in this way, you might even say simplicity is, is about prioritizing. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. Uh, I love what Adele Calhoun writes in her book on the spiritual discipline. She said, the practice of simplicity involves uncomplicating and untangling my life so that I can focus on what's really important. That's what it's about, uncomplicating, untangling my life so you can keep the main thing the main thing. 
which is hard for us as humans, isn't it? Am I the only one that's hard for? That just after a while, I look back and I say, what, what am I doing over here? All of a sudden, I'm all pouring all this energy into this thing when that's really what my life is supposed to be about. Simplicity is about working to keep focus on that one thing. Um, some of you are visual, so you need a visual or you won't remember this. Here's a word picture for you. Think of an Olympic athlete, all right? Um, you know, think of Simone Biles or Michael Phelps. When these people are interviewed, the interview often goes something like this. When they say, tell us about your life. What are you, what are you into? What do you like? And they, they usually say, well, you're going to be kind of disappointed. My life is actually pretty boring. It's really simple. I spend tons of time at the gym. I'm always working out. I eat the same foods pretty much every day. Um, my relationships are dramatically simplified. I, it's not that they don't want to have other things going on. It's that their life is so dramatically centered on one thing that everything else takes a secondary importance. So it's not that they, they shun ice cream and movies with friends. It's just that they don't do that a whole lot because they're focused on one thing, competing at the highest level on the world stage. And that orders the rest of their life. That's what simplicity is all about. So that's the way that I want you to think about it. Now, let's, let's give a, a due warning here about this discipline. This is a dangerous discipline. Um, like most powerful things in your life are, this thing is dangerous. And the reason it's so dangerous is it's because it's probably the most visible of all the disciplines. And we've talked about prayer. Um, prayer is supposed to be done in secret, according to Jesus, many times, most often, the secret place of prayer. A fasting is supposed to be done without anybody knowing about it. That's where it's really authentic and genuine. But simplicity is something that will work itself into the outward fabric of your life. People will notice, especially if you've like really been up here and then you start cutting down. They will really notice. Okay? And so anytime we as humans are about to practice something spiritual where other people can see it, it's like, it's like fire. If it stays in the fireplace, it's great. It warms you. If it gets out, it burns the whole house down. So you have to be really careful with this thing. Otherwise, it will automatically become about trying to impress other people. And that ruins everything. It just destroys the very purpose of what this thing is for. Okay? Now, additionally, I want to say that simplicity seeks to rescue us from two unbiblical wrong views of possessions. And they're two isms I'll use today. Um, the first ism is, of course, uh, materialism, which I would define as just um, an unhealthy... Uh, needing of possessions to satisfy us and bring us joy. So your mind is always going to, what's that next thing I could get? What's that next thing I need? If I just get that thing, I would finally be happy. Um, you know people like this. They're your kids, right? All of our kids are that way. They think, if, Dad, if I just had this, if I just had an iPhone 6, Dad, I'd be the happiest kid ever. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be the happiest kid ever. But, you, you know, they, they try to convince us that that's what they need. And the, the funny thing is, is we're kind of a lot like them, you know. At the end of the day, we're thinking, our toys are just bigger, you know. Yeah, silly kids, they need iPhones to be happy. And then we're like, well, if I just had a boat or a place by the lake or whatever, then I would finally be happy. But the thing of it is, it's just materialism. It's a lie. It won't really satisfy you. You were built for God. He can satisfy you. Material stuff cannot make you happy, Right? Now, that's, think of simplicity as a beautiful road with two steep ditches on the side. Materialism is on one side, and on the other side is what we'll call minimalism or asceticism. Um, asceticism is just an extreme denial of any physical pleasure, right? And it's unbiblical. Same thing with minimalism. It's just an extreme focus on trying to live without things, 
right? Which you can hear in there, that's, that's why simplicity is not minimalism. It's not an extreme focus on possessions, but it's not an extreme focus on living without things. Um, the biblical model is receiving everything we get from the Lord as a good gift, rejoicing in that, praising him for those good gifts, but leaving stuff where it should be as just stuff. It's not central. It's not God in our life. It comes and goes, but we enjoy it because God gave us everything for our joy and for his glory, right? So there's two ditches I don't want you to fall in here, and simplicity can, can sometimes lend people to falling in that minimalist asceticism ditch, and I don't want you to be there. This is not a contest to see who can live with the least. Um, God made steaks taste great for a reason, right? You know, God made a, a beautiful beach for a reason, and all of us would love to go there right now um, in, in January. Those things are to be enjoyed, and we're to give God praise for those things and not refuse those things, but we're not to make them the focus of our life, all right? Uh, so those are, those are kind of the warnings. I think Richard Foster puts it perfectly. He says, simplicity is the only thing that can sufficiently reorient our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. And that's what we're after. We want you to enjoy a great meal with friends. We want you to enjoy a vacation with your kids. Those things are great. They can be great gifts from our Father that you enjoy and you praise Him for. But if they become the central focus of your life, they will destroy you. All right, so that's why we have to be careful with it. All right? Now, I've said a lot already. It's time for a working definition. Uh, and maybe some of you aren't into definitions. I think they're helpful. Otherwise, they get off track. So I put this at the top of your handout. Now, this is compiled from several different kind of sources. And so um, you might recognize some of this in Richard Foster or in Adele Calhoun. But listen to this. This is what I have, I'm working with. Simplicity is the practice of uncomplicating and decluttering our lives so that we can focus on what is really important. It comes out of hearts that seek God's kingdom first and trust him to provide us with good things for our sustenance and enjoyment. Moreover, it frees us from our idolatry of possessions to live joyfully, generously, and without worry about tomorrow. Okay, so that's our, that's our working definition. When you're practicing this, come back to your little handout and say, all right, what am I trying to do here? And if you find yourself trying to prove to everybody how little you can live on, go back to what this is really about. Go back to what this discipline is really for. Now, we're going to talk real about what this looks like and feels like. There are two realities here, an inward reality and the outward expression of that. And so we're going to look at both. First, the inward reality. Uh, and both of these things, by the way, have to be there or you can't have the discipline. If it's just inward, it's just a nice idea in your head and it doesn't it doesn't really do anything for you. If it's just outward, it'll lead, lead you to legalism, and it will, in the end, become the God instead of the one you want to focus on, right? It'll become an idol in your life trying to live simply. So you have to, you have to be really careful with it in that way. Both of them have to be working together. Now, we've already been touching on the inward part because Jesus gives us the center of it. Right? So the inward part is focusing on God and his kingdom, putting his kingdom first, and then allowing everything else to be what it needs to be. But we must ask ourselves, hey, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? You ever ask yourself that? I think we kind of just assume we know what that means. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, and, and how do I do that? Um, and the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard also asked himself that, que that question. He said, what does this mean when Jesus says this? It's really important, obviously, but what does it mean when he says this, and how do I do it? He says, 
What do I have to do? What sort of effort is it that can be said to seek or pursue the kingdom of God? Should I try to get a job suitable to my talents and powers in order to exert an influence? No, you should first seek God's kingdom, says Kierkegaard. Shall I then give my fortune to the poor? No, you shall first seek God's kingdom. Should I then go out and proclaim this teaching to the world? No, you should first seek God's kingdom. And then he says, but then in a certain sense, it's nothing I should do. Yes, certainly, in a certain sense, it is nothing. Become nothing before God. Learn to keep silent. In this silence is the beginning, which is first to seek God's kingdom. So Kierkegaard is saying, look, don't start with simplicity. Don't start by giving your shirts away. All right? Don't start by trying to live on $20 a week. That's going to lead you in the wrong direction. It has to go from the inward outward. When you're practicing this discipline, the inward outward. So you use the other disciplines we've been talking about. Prayer and fasting and uh, study of scripture and those kinds of things. And those lead you to the right heart where now your life is going to naturally be ordered around God at the center. Right? That's what Kierkegaard's saying. First and foremost has to be God at the center. Otherwise, simplicity itself will become the center. And I've seen, I've met people like that. That they're all about bragging about how simple their lives are and how little stuff they live on. And that's not what God wants for his people. He wants to be the center. He wants you living joyfully and generously with everything that he's entrusted to you. Right? So now, how do you know that this internal reality has actually taken root in your heart? I'm going to give you a few questions. Um, Jesus, I think, made it perfectly clear in this passage here that you'll know when the, the root of simplicity has taken hold when you start becoming less anxious. How many of you are a little bit of a stress case, kind of like me? Right? Um, you'll know you're, when your anxiety starts going down, you'll start to know, like, hey, I think I'm starting to get this simplicity thing. You know, Jesus says that's the clear marker that you have started to trust your Heavenly Father can take care of you. All right, so, so Richard Foster takes it a step further and says, here's three questions that need to be asked that get at our anxiety and our, our deep trust in the Lord. And I put them into questions for you on your sheet as well, so you don't have to, if you're, if you're a note taker like my core students up there, just rocking it. Way to go, you guys. Uh, then, then you can just calm down. I wrote these down for you. Number one, three questions to understand if you really have this internal reality as you're seeking it. Do you receive possessions as a gift from God? Or is the stuff you have stuff that you earned? I mean, you got it. You went out, that's the American mentality, right? I went out and got this. I got mine. And, and I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I did it. And it was, it was all me. And, and I'm kind of the man or the woman. And here's the, here's the reality, friends. That's just foolishness. That is just utter foolishness. If you've, if you've even thought about being born in any other culture in the world... Like, you could have been born in our culture, in our, in our community in Swaziland a hundred years ago. You didn't even have bootstraps to pull yourself up by. You know what I mean? Like, you would have spent all your life in a 40-mile radius, and you would have collected water that you share with cattle, and collected firewood, and survived. You would have been born, lived, and died in the same place. No resources to get an education. No resources to get anywhere in life. Friends, what you have is a gift from God. The fact that you were born in this culture, the fact that you were given this kind of an education, you might have worked hard, sure. You applied yourself, good job, way to go. But it was a gift from God. Even your ability to think and reason, our sanity is a gift from God. 
right? Everything you've got is a gift from God. And when you start treating possessions as a gift from your father, you're on the path to uncovering simplicity. Number two, do you trust God to protect that which has been given to you? It's a big, big thing for people like me because if I had an idol, it would be security. Not after stuff so much, but I love having a mountain of security. Like a huge, like I could have $10 million just waiting for the next disaster and I, would, I think I would feel good about that. Maybe not. I'd probably still be, then I'd be worried about losing the 10 mil, you know. It kind of works that way. But, you know, do you trust that God has given you what you have and that he can protect it, right? If he gave it to you to begin with, isn't he capable of protecting it? And if you somehow lose it, is it not totally your fault? I mean, isn't he sovereign in this? That's what, that's what this is getting at for you. Can God protect you in this? Kierkegaard makes a joke. He says that riches come hypocritically, promising us, that freedom, promising us freedom from anxiety. He says, in the end, riches protect us from anxiety about as well as a wolf put with the sheep protects them from the wolf. Riches don't free us from anxiety. They often bring anxiety. More money, more stress. More stuff, more stress. Okay? Money's not an evil. The love of it's the evil. Okay? So we have to learn to have the right perspective on it. That's the second thing. Third thing, are you free to share your possessions with others, with the community? Are your possessions to be shared? Do you have that mindset about them? See, friends, simplicity is not so much about what you own. It's about what owns you. So the best way to tell whether you own something or whether it owns you is to give it away. Try it. See how it feels. That's, that's why this gets, gets to be so fun. It, it can be a little painful. But if, if you got something you really like, even something you're, really, you're still using, just try giving it away and see how hard it is. I was still using that. You know, most of the time we say, hey, I'll give this to you. I, I got two of them. Or I'll give this to you. I'm not using it anymore. But just say, I just want to give this to you. Oh, you don't need it anymore? Yeah, I do. Still need it. Still really want it. But here, I like this. You can have it. Just see how hard that is. Just try it. It's kind of exciting, isn't it? Live a little bit, right? <laughs> the heart grounded in the Father's provision is free to give generously. Okay, I think the best illustration I can think of is you're th- you're, you think, when you're living in simplicity, you think like a kid who has a really rich dad. Right? That's your mentality. Now, not that you're going to just go blow it. You're not like the, the prodigal son in, in Luke 15. But you're thinking like, hey, Dad's got his heart on a lot of these things, and my heart's on a lot of those things. I'm going to give a bunch to that. He's got a whole bunch more. There'll be more for me. I'm not worried about it. I know this is hard for some of us, because some of you grew up without having stuff or with a lot of concerns around money and, and possessions. But this is where Jesus wants to lead us, to this joyful, worry-free generosity. That's the inward reality. Now, of course, this is the part we've all been waiting for. You're all thinking, okay, let's get to the outward, Pastor Dave. What's he going to tell us we have to give, give away? What's he going to tell us we've got to live without? What's he, what kind of rules is he going to give to us? And I'm not going to do any of that. I have put on your sheet 10 suggestions of things to try. Please do not make this law. Most of these things aren't even in the Bible. Okay? So do not make this law. These are, these are things to try. Enjoy them. Experience them. Um, work with them a little bit. Come up with your own things. You know, just, just read the definition and say, okay, what does this look to declutter and untangle my life so I can focus on God and his kingdom? And see how it goes.
So I have 11 things here. Don't make them law. Let's dive into them. Number one, buy things for their usefulness, not for their prestige. Think of your car. Think of your house. Think of your clothes. Is what you have just because it works good and it functions good and you use it to bless the community, use it to bless others, or is it supposed to take you up a notch in culture and in society and amongst your friends? So when people roll up to your house, are they supposed to think, wow, they really killed it. They're really, they're really making it in life. They're really something. Or is it just a great house for, for welcoming people into? Um, is your car, is the hood ornament supposed to mean something when you pull up? You know, is it supposed to say something to somebody? Like, you're a big deal. Because if it is, maybe try getting a Honda. <laughs> they work great. Nobody says, Dave, wow, you, you're a, you're a, you really have done something with that education you got. But they work great, and they get great gas mileage, very economical. And so, you know, I'm not selling Hondas here today, but, but I'm just saying, just try it once. Just see what it's like to drive something that doesn't get you any notoriety. If you're always used to wearing a certain name brand of clothes, just try getting plain shirts, Hanes, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, just try wearing plain shirts that have no advertisements so nobody can label you or file you into some category based on the kind of clothes you wear. And just see what that feels like to rediscover your identity as a child of God, not as someone that has to wear a certain kind of clothes to be somebody. I mean, that's bondage, isn't it? I mean, simplicity is all about freedom. So try that. It'll be interesting to see how that works for you. And then tell me about it. I'm, I'm excited to hear how that goes. Uh, number two, parents, consider simplifying your schedule by reducing the events your kids are in. I, I feel for parents... Uh, these days because I, I go through the same thing. Listen, not having your kids in every activity they want to be in does not make you a bad parent. It makes you a sane parent. <laughs> All right? It makes you a sane parent. Your job in having kids was not to be a full-time chauffeur unpaid. Right? You are not, you're not to just drive them around to every last thing they want to do and just bend your life totally around them. That's not even good for them. Okay, it creates a crazy, stressful, hectic life, and it's just, it's not helpful. Listen, Billy will be in the NBA if he's supposed to be. What's holding him back is not him being on a traveling team in the fourth grade. What's holding him back is your genetics. You know, like, you're not, you're not giving him the right stuff to, for him to make it to the NBA. So just don't worry about it. He'll make it there if Michael Jordan got cut in the ninth grade. Don't worry about it, all right? Uh, you, you'll, if he's supposed to get there, he'll make it. Just relax a little bit about some of these things. They can create space in your life for what's really important if you'll just chill about how many... I'm not saying just take them out of everything and they can only do their homework, but just be reasonable about it. They don't need to be in three things each at one time. All right? I doubt you'll be the first people to ruin your kids because of lack of activity. Uh, number three, remember the Sabbath. See, orienting our lives around God means putting things into our schedule daily, weekly, monthly, yearly that remind us we belong to God, that put things in perspective. And Sabbath is saying that. Everybody makes such a big deal about tithing money and stuff like that, but God says, I want a seventh of your time. I want a day of your week to, for you to reorient yourself around me and around my people. That's a big deal, right? And that's a weekly reminder to say, God, you're first. You're first. You come before anything in my life, and everything in my life I can live without but you. Sabbath is a big deal. Possessions take their natural place uh, when that's in our lives. This is one I heard recently from a pastor, and I love it. Um, it's just a simple rule. Don't make law out of this. Bible before breakfast or Bible before bed. One of those two. I love that. It's just helpful to remember that. Starting your day, and I would add prayer in there too. So do one or the other before breakfast and before bed 
because it orients your life. It forms you into a certain kind of person. Uh, in the monastic movement, a lot of the monks would say that they wanted their first words out of their mouth to be a prayer uttered to God, some sort of praise uttered to God. And the last words they took before bed, they wanted to be a praise, a prayer uttered to God. So how we start our day and how we end our day, sort of the bookends of our day, forms us into certain kind of people that are bent around certain things. So you wake up first and check Facebook, that's going to form you. Certain kinds of people. That's what's important to you, see? If I wake up, first thing, check ESPN, that has formed me in bad ways. You know, sports become too important. So first thing first, oh, I'm going I'm to grab for my Bible app. Just start, you know, just push play. Whatever you're going to do and listen to the word. Just utter a prayer. Just take some time in, that, in the morning or before bed to make God first, to tell him he's first. Aristotle famously said, you are what you do repeatedly. So your habits form you. Number five, develop a habit of giving things away. Um, use this strategy to declutter, which reduces your stress. Um, but also, uh, this has a way of forming you into a certain kind of person too. Uh, Adele Calhoun writes, I think beautifully, that simplicity cultivates the art of letting go, which we struggle with, right? She says, even our own, uh, she says, she rightly points out that one day we will have to let go of everything, even our own breath. It will be a day of utter simplicity. A day when the importance of stuff fades. Anybody at a funeral ever see a guy or a gal getting, you know, at their funeral where they're just running around trying to get all their stuff into their coffin? Just doesn't happen. They're not, they're not worried about anything at that point. All their stuff is just left to other people to fight over. Ecclesiastes reminds us of this. You work your whole life and then other people get what you work for. So you're going to have to let it go someday. And the people have said, I want to be buried with all my money. But the people that they tell that to never listen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're like, ain't no way. He's, he's not coming back to force my hand. I'm taking that stuff. It cultivates the art of letting go. We're going to have to let, it go, let go someday. She says, living, to live simply prepares us for our last breath while cultivating in us the freedom to truly live here and now. That's what it's all about. Being ready for that last breath, but cultivating true life now so you're not holding to things. You can enjoy it. You can live. Number six, I'll say this like Steve Martin. Don't buy stuff if you don't have any money. That's a great simple truth to live by. Don't buy stuff you can't pay for. That's a telltale sign that you're addicted to stuff. If you're putting everything on credit because you just need it so badly, it is ruining you. It's destroying you. It's stressing you out. And the worst part about it is with our math in America, people can say that's a good deal. That's a good thing for you to be doing. You're going to be encouraged to do that. But I'm telling you, please don't. Just don't do that. It's, it's hard on you. It's not good for you. It's going to kill you. And you won't be able to be generous when you're loaded with debt. Number seven, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Here's a big American problem. We go to a beach. I want a beach. We go to a mountain. Take a little ski trip. I need to own a mountain. If we go swimming in a pool, I should put a pool in my backyard. We have to own everything we enjoy. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. You can go to a beach instead of buying a house on one. You can go skiing and not have to own the mountain. You can go and swim in a public pool or a library or a park and enjoy it together with the community. You don't have to own it. Number eight, get in the regular habit of giving thanks for the little pleasures in life. You know, simplicity is really about enjoying all the good things that our Father has given us. So take time to thank God for a beautiful day. 
for a, for a perfectly ripe avocado, you know, uh, for a beautiful walleye that, you know, just, just, you just, it's the perfect size for eating and just beautiful color. Take the time. That's a simple thing, but that's a wonderful pleasure. Take the time to praise God for a day above 30 degrees in January in South Dakota. I mean, wasn't yesterday awesome? How many of you guys went outside for a minute yesterday and just said, thank you, God, we needed this. That's a good gift from our Father. Um, not everything in life has to be so huge in order to enjoy it. A good meal with friends, a glass of wine can be a really huge gift if you'll just take the time to direct those gifts as praise to our Father. All right? Um, number nine, reject things that breed the oppression of others. Now, I get this. This is particularly difficult, especially when so many of our merchandise, so much of our merchandise comes from China. Um, and this can lead to bondage itself. I've been there, like where everything you look at, you're trying to figure out who made it and if anything bad happened in the process. But we're smart enough to know that chocolate, a huge bar of chocolate shouldn't be a dollar, right? Cocoa is more expensive than that. If it is a dollar, somebody is not getting paid. Um, a bag of coffee shouldn't be two bucks. It's more expensive than that. These are commodities. These are good things for us to enjoy that our Father has given us. But let's make sure we don't enjoy them on the backs of others. Let's make sure that people are getting paid. Buy from responsibly sourced things that, that are making sure everybody's getting a fair wage. Clothes, coffee, chocolate, those kinds of things. We don't need anything enough that it's worth oppressing others to get. All right? Number 10, two more left. Reject anything that's producing an addiction in you. Uh, I was, I've been trying to get addicted to coffee for the last two years because my wife loves it. And I just can't stand it. It's an acquired taste. You're not supposed to drink the stuff, but people love it. So as a pastor, it's, a, it's like a sin to not drink coffee. Everybody says, do you want to go grab coffee? Oh, I think I'll have water, but yeah, I'll be there. And it's just, I've been trying to get addicted to it. It would help my life. But I, honestly, when, I, when she tells me, what, why don't you like coffee? I, I'll say, well, I don't really need another addiction now, do I? And, and when you're watching your life, this is real. Uh, most of the things that we really enjoy have powerful pulls in us to become bigger than just enjoyments. They have powerful pulls on us to become addicting, to where they start to wrap tons of our life around them and get way out of proportion. So just keep an eye on those things. Refuse to be a slave to anything but God. You know, simplicity is all about freedom, so let's, let's keep free to, to worship and love God. And then finally, learn to ask yourself, is this a need or is this a want? Certainly some wants are fine, and God rejoices that we enjoy them and give him thanks for them. But when your life is always about the next thing that I want, the next thing that I have to have, the next thing that I'm going after, that, that becomes toxic. Um, and pretty soon, contentment is something totally lost on you. And so learn to, learn to say, hey, is this a need or is this a want? And for us as Americans, we have a lot of wants and very few needs. And so we could all do uh, with a little more contentment. Amen. All right, uh, that's the end of our questions. I want to offer a time of prayer. Uh, one of the things that Pastor Bill, and we can have the prayer team come up at this time. I'll just invite you up. One of the things that Pastor Bill and I have been talking about is how hard these disciplines really are. You know, when we get down to it, we're just like, wow, these things get at the very core um, problems in us. They get at our idols. They get at, at difficult places in us. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Dave, this is really hard for me because I don't see God as a good father. Um, I don't see him as someone that I can trust. 
We want to invite you to come for prayer. Maybe um, you're saying, uh, Pastor Dave, I am addicted to stuff and I, I've got a bad habit and I'm buying a lot and I, I kind of buy to soothe myself and to, to cure my anxiety. Come on up, get prayed for, be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. And then maybe there's someone in here today that you're here in church and maybe it's been a long time for you in church. And sorry, we had a Christmas program out of order and kind of, everything is kind of strange today. But, but we want to give you an opportunity to come to this Jesus who is teaching us today. Um, see, and here's the good news for you. I've got great news for you, actually, that before any of us ever decided to center our lives around God, to bend our lives around him, he centered on us. He, he simplified his life so much so that humanity could be rescued. I mean, God the Father said, I am so, I'm so bent on rescuing humanity that I'm going to give my own son for them so that their lives can be brought back to me and and god the son said i'm so bent on saving them that i'm willing to simplify my life dramatically he wasn't just giving up a few things he said i'll leave my home in heaven i'm going to leave my riches i'm going to leave my throne my glory and become born as a little baby so in some sense this is a christmas message stark naked amongst a bunch of farm animals talk about simplicity he didn't have a lot right lived a simple life as a blue-collar kid, carpenter's boy, a miraculous ministry, and then he was crucified on a Roman cross. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead so that you and I can be brought home to the God that loved us enough to center on us. So if you want to come and receive that truth today, we want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. We want to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray for you and close, and then you'll have a time to just stay and, and be prayed for. If you want to go, you can leave quietly, all right? Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your, your teaching that is so bent on our, our thriving. You know us, Lord. You know how hard this, this uh, deal is with possessions. You know how hard it is for us to let go of things. You know how hard it is for us to trust. And so I ask, Lord, right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would produce in us, begin producing this internal reality in us, that we would and be able to seek your kingdom first and trust you that you've got us, that you can provide for us. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us to joy-filled, generous lives that are free from worry about possessions and about tomorrow. That we really would live as your people, free and confident and full of joy because you've given so much to us. We thank you for this gift, Father, of Jesus especially. And we ask you would bless this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen.